Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Because we're huge 
huge fans, uh, you know, listening to you, the times you're on the air with Mike, the times you do with the Moose, who, who's also, you know, on the show uh, quite a while back. But, Kim, we'd like to get to know you a little bit more. Can you tell us what or who specifically got you into sports growing up? Oh, my parents, because they're big sports fans, and they uh, they were the happiest people that the NBA lockout ended that I knew, and that says something <laughs> about who my parents are in the world of sports because they love watching the NBA. They love watching college sports as well and, of course, the NFL and Major League Baseball. So really in our household, you know, it was a, a lot of our um, relaxation time was spent watching sports, and I got hooked at a very early age. Wow, that's definitely some good stuff. Yeah, I know. I know. With me specifically, my mom could care less about sports. My dad was the big guy, and he's the one who cursed me with being a Mets fan. But uh, now, now share with us: at what point in your life did you know, for a fact, you you decided that sports was going to be your career? Oh, pretty early on. I remember guys being in middle school, maybe seventh grade, and oh, wow. I would watch um, Georgetown basketball games. Georgetown was my favorite team, and still is. Uh, when it comes to college basketball, but I'd watch college or Georgetown games, you know, and write about them. And, uh, you know, I was a tomboy. I played basketball and tennis all the time. So for me, this came, uh, th- this idea came very e- early in life, and, and I've been really, really lucky to, to be able to fulfill it. Wow, that, that's definitely some some good stuff there, Kim. And uh, Now, just out of curiosity, this is not one of the questions that I'm planning on asking you, but I, are you a Yankee fan? I know you cover the team, but uh, do you, are you happy to root for the team? No, and I didn't grow up a Yankee fan. I grew up an Orioles and Phillies fan in, in a York, Pennsylvania. So um, I was not a fan of any New York teams. We didn't, we didn't have, you know, access to every single game way back then like we do now, and, and I watched more of the local teams and was a fan of them. Right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we had Sal Akata on here, and I know I asked Sal off the air uh, several months ago when he was on. He told us, and I don't know if you would agree with this, but that it's tough to be unbiased and root for a team. So he, he, he's, he's told us that in his world he kind of just generally roots for certain teams, but mostly just sports in general. Now, would it be the same thing with you, or, or do you still keep your allegiances to your teams? Uh, I think it depends on the sport. Um, I can see what Sal was getting at. Um I think it depends on the sport. It depends if maybe you know someone or have gotten to know someone. Maybe you, you covered a John Fox when he was the defensive coordinator of the New York Giants, as I did, and now right. you know, I really get a kick out of watching him, his teams, and especially his team now with the Broncos uh, and, and uh, that guy, Tim Tebow. So, you know, I think that there <laughs> are, you know, the same goes for Sean Payton in New Orleans because he was the offensive coordinator during part of that time as well. So, you know, I think that you develop allegiances or at least some ties with people. But in terms of really, really caring who wins the game, um, I think that that kind of goes away or at least has for the most part for me. Wow. You know, Joe and I talk about this, uh, and I know that Joe Joe's mentioned it to me. Like, I can't imagine. I mean, I'm a Mets fan, unfortunately, like I said, you know, suffering for years. But I can't imagine ever not being a Mets fan. I can't imagine covering sports and not rooting it. But a lot of the people that we've heard talk to and stuff, that they're just same as you. So uh, backtracking off that for a second, though, um, one thing that, that I'm curious about now, it's a twofold question. How exactly did you get the job with the Yankees? And uh, do you feel that you had to overcome more than, uh, than a, let's say, a male would 
being a you know female in a predominantly male-dominated career, I know there's a lot of women who are taking prominent roles now. But you know, for the most part, it's been a quote-unquote man's world when it comes to sports. So now, again, how did you get the job with the Yanks, and did you feel you had to overcome more being that you're a female in a male-dominated uh, area? Uh, I got the job with the Yankees back in 2005 when they called me, asked me to audition. I couldn't because I was covering the Super Bowl that week. Um, they called me back and indicated they didn't find anyone at their audition and wanted me to, to come back and, and audition uh, on my own, which I did, and they ended up offering me a job. They had found me, uh, I believe, because I had done a little bit of TV work on Giants Online and that sort of a thing. That was a show that at the time I believe was on the Yes Network. Now I think it's now I think there's I think it might be online now. But um it was a Giants produced show where they had, you know, beat writers and reporters on as guests along with uh the incomparable Pat Hamlin and Bob Papa who are on every week. So I think they they, they kind of saw me doing some T V work, although it certainly wasn't my primary gig by any means and were curious, reached out, and, you know, here we are now, um, you know, very nearly seven years later, uh, you know, with, with my electing to leave the Newark Star-Ledger where I was the NFL writer, and very happy doing so, but I thought I'd give this a chance once it was offered, and um, I'm very happy I did. Wow. Hey, Tammy, it's Joe from Pure Gold. Um, just want to know, any fear, uh, female reporters, sports or news-wise, that you admire or look up to? Oh, there are a lot of them. Um, Susan Waldman is a great example for me. We have a, we have fun. We laugh a lot. We uh, make fun of each other and ourselves all the time, and uh, get through the baseball season together, uh, partly with humor. And there are a lot of other ones, guys. Leslie Visser. Right. Um, you know, I really I liked her when I was growing up. I I'm old enough that I remember Phyllis George and. Uh, Jackie Kennedy, I believe, or Jane Kennedy, sitting in that uh, seat on Sunday afternoons on pregame shows, if if memory serves. But, uh, you know, um, I, I've always been influenced uh, mostly by um, writers I've been around, uh, folks I've met in the business who I've had an opportunity to know who kind of come in and come out of your life, and they all – you know, they all serve a purpose, and you hope that, that you serve a purpose for them as well because in this business you really can learn a lot by watching and by um, talking and by exchanging ideas. And I've always been lucky to have a lot of good people, men and women, around me with whom I could do that. Right. Now, we, we all know that you attended, you know, Penn State University, and recently with all the um, you know the things that's been going on with Jerry Sandusky, their image has been tarnished a bit. How have you dealt with this, being an alumni of PSU? Well, I covered it. Um, yeah. So I dealt with it by addressing the fact that I know everyone involved except Gary Schultz. Um, I know most of the current football staff because at Penn State, one of the beautiful things about Penn State, and I say that sincerely, is that no one left. It, it very much was a family atmosphere and a a situation where you knew what you were getting when you were talking about Penn State football. I mean, none of us could have ever known this or foreseen this, but um, there's an awful lot of good that comes from being Penn State and representing Penn State, and unfortunately that, of course, has all been overshadowed and in many people's eyes simply nullified uh, right. over the past six or seven weeks. But, um, you know, I, I, I went to Penn, six, I spent six years at Penn State because I also have a master's degree from there, 
Um, it's where I did a lot of learning, both in the classroom and about life, and, and I have absolutely no regrets about it. But in terms of how did I deal with this, I mean, I think a lot of us deal with it by um, trying to think about how the heck it happened. And then the other side of me, and the, probably in many ways the bigger side of me, the reporter side of me, um, sprung into action you know, with the with the blessing of Mike Francesa of WF, WFAN, and I joined him that first week with a lot of reporting from State College, and since then have tried here and there to to continue reporting when I when I can on a situation that just doesn't seem to ever ever end because there's you know new details and there will be new things coming out you know in the weeks and months to come. Right. And I, I think Dave and I both uh, could agree that you did. You and Mike did a great job covering that. And now we have all this other information. Like we have other schools come out, like Syracuse. Where do you think the end game is? This like, uh, do you think that we're just going to have like story upon story come out throughout the entire United States with these type of incidents coming out now? Yeah, I mean it's a good question because unfortunately I'm not so sure there is an end game. I mean today you see Bill Conlon. Um, of the Philadelphia Daily News, a longtime columnist, a Hall of Fame baseball writer, um, mentioned uh, it, it retiring and, and the, the accusations of sexual abuse of children long ago, decades and right. decades ago. You see Syracuse with, with what happened there, which is much different from Penn State, but um, other th- others that, that have some similarities with Penn Well, many of these situations have similarities with Penn State in the sense that Penn State opened the door for the conversation and to be taken seriously and to understand as a as a victim or alleged victim, you're not alone. Right. And I think that has been a very important part. I mean, I, I hope there is dialogue. I hope that, that schools like the one in New York City or uh, the AAU, allegedly, and it go, the list literally goes on and on. And, I you know, I hope that um, – the dialogue is now open where we can say it's not okay, we need to talk about this and deal with it and prosecute it at the time instead of all of these people, these um, victims and alleged victims um, suffering for decades before they have the courage to come forward. Now, I get to take that, I mean, just from listening to your take on this, just like me, I tried to try to make a negative into a positive. Do you think that... If anything positive out of this has come is that the fact that we just need to be more uh, aware, more vigilant, and just um, we need—we all need a wake-up call. And this might have been that wake-up call that we have to really protect our children, our future, they're innocent, and it's, you know, if anything, do you think that that's the positive that we take out of all this? Yeah, I mean, it could be. I, I think a lot of us knew that anyway. I just think that, that perhaps, um, instead of having a different attitude as Penn State did nine years ago. And, you know, nine years ago it was a different world. Nine years ago a lot of things were different, even though it's only nine years ago and it goes by in a blink of an eye. And I just think that now um, the epidemic that apparently is the sexual abuse of children perhaps can be dealt with in the open instead of always behind closed doors and always with whispers. And you know, in terms of protecting our children and that sort of thing, you know, I think an awful lot of us already knew that. I, but I think when you talk about something like this, that for the vast majority of us, or at least I hope it's the vast majority of us, we never think about, we never entertain, we never have reason to think about it. Well, now we do. 
And right. my hope is that we deal with this better going forward. And, and my goodness, if we could eliminate it, you know, all the better. Let's do everything we can to eliminate it. But at the very least, dealing with it at the time in a timely manner, as opposed to these things, you know, literally um, festering for years and years and decades and decades. Dave? I remember when the uh, sorry, I remember when the Bernie Fine thing came out, uh, and you know, recent that was after the whole Penn State, and listening to you with Mike, you know, which you did a great job, by the way, it was great listening to you. And I, this is a, it's hard to segue from this, but we want to, since we have you on, we have the time, uh, and we wanted to cover everything with you. Um, you know, we would like to ask you some current sports questions. So again, it, it's tough to go from Penn State and Bernie Fine and all the sex scandal to anything else, but um, I'd like to actually ask you a question about this week's. Uh, football games and folks, we're we're here. We're talking with uh, Kim Jones, who is a contributor on uh, on Yes and of course WFAN. You're going to be on the air actually uh, next week, aren't you, Kim? With uh, with Chris Carlin. Yeah, I will. I will be, I'm the uh, I'm the Yankees clubhouse reporter, pre and post game clubhouse reporter for Yes. I contribute to this week in football on Yes, uh, and I do shows at the Fan. And uh, I'm lucky enough next week. Uh, to be working with Chris Carlin, my old radio buddy, and my current very good buddy. He and his wife and I are very close, and he uh, he and I will be working mornings next week at the Fan. Oh, that's going to be good stuff considering uh, – nah, I don't want to say anything, but I'm not a big fan of the current morning show there. I like a lot of the other shows, but definitely not a big fan of, uh, of the current morning show that's there. It's just not my type of radio, but listening to you and Chris would be great. Or when you were the times you've been on with Moose, of course. Again, Moose is one of my favorites. But uh, Kim, can you tell us, uh, give us an idea? What's your take this week between the uh, the Jets and the Giants? I mean, Joe is a Jets fan. I'm a Giants fan. It's it's obvious to say that this is a must win. And uh, you know, Joe Beningo was mentioning today that he feels that whichever team loses is pretty much not going to make it. I, I I tend to agree with that. My Giants are in a horrific spiral. Um, what do you think that uh, the teams need to do to actually get the win this Sunday? Because neither team on Saturday, this neither team is really playing at their best right now. Yeah, that's an understatement, my friend, isn't it? <laughs> um, they're yeah, not yeah, at their definitely. best. They're not where they want to be. Both have squandered opportunities, and and yet somehow they're going to have this cage match at MetLife Stadium, where you know <laughs> the winner, the winner truly will go the spoils because the loser is probably out of it. I think what concerns me the most, if you're a Giants fan, is Jake Ballard's injury because the Jets can't defend tight ends, and uh, Jake Ballard's a, a, a become a pretty decent tight end, and uh, yeah, they don't definitely. really have another one. So as a Giants fan, that would concern me the most. Um, perhaps second, I should say, next to that uh, pass defense of the Giants, which has had so many issues. Um However, the Giants' pass rush should be able to bother Sanchez, you would think. If Ballard were healthy, I think I'd pick the Giants to win because I have that much confidence in Eli Manning right, uh, right, that he would bounce back. But I tell you, the, you know, the Giants would, will need one of those, you know, maybe a vintage outing if there's such a thing already in his early career from Victor Cruz or, you know, certainly a bounce-back outing from Hakeem Nix because – one way or another, they're going to have to go over the middle and make that Jets defense have to defend them. Um, right. And we'll see how that goes. But for the Jets, you know, I think if they can protect Sanchez, I, I, I think you like their chances. I just, 
I have a hard time believing that they're going to be able to do that, given that it seems like Justin Tuck's getting healthier, and Jason Pierre-Paul is playing at a level that very few players reach during a season, right. and he's doing it just about every week. So, you know, in terms of a pick, it's only Tuesday. I'm probably going to use that as an excuse not to make one. But like <laughs> I said, if Jake Ballard were healthy, I think I'd feel fairly confident taking the Giants. But un- but unfortunately for the Giants, he's not. Yeah, yeah, it is unfortunate. And, I mean, you mentioned the Giants' defense, which has just not been there. And it's amazing. When the Giants drafted uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, I'm like, okay, this guy seems like he's going to be athletic and, you know, hopefully he'll be good. I don't even know if the Giants thought he was going to be this good, but when you've got O.C. injured basically all year, Tuck is a shell of his former self. If they had their defense healthy, even just those couple of guys, I definitely would pick the Giants easily over the Jets. And, I mean, regardless of what, that'll be my pick. But um, I know it's... A couple weeks early, I guess you could say. The playoffs haven't even started, but here we are towards the end of the season. Uh, as of right now, as of today, Tuesday, like you mentioned, the 20th of December, who do you, Kim Jones, the one and only Kim Jones, who do you think is going to end up in the Super Bowl this year? Give us your uh, pure goal prediction, as it were. Um. Well, I'm, I, I still think it'll be Green Bay, although part of me wants to pick the Saints. But I, I think it'll be Green Bay, uh, given that, the path to the Super Bowl will go through Green Bay. So I, I will stay with – I will take Green Bay. I'd love to see the Saints get back there, but I, I think it will probably be Green Bay. If Ben Roethlisberger can get healthy, which is not an easy thing to do with those ankles, uh, I actually like the Steelers in the AFC. But right. uh, they they need all – they would need Pouncey back. They certainly need Harrison to, to be back on the field, which he, he will be on, on Saturday. And – they they would need Ben to be Ben because that wasn't Ben last night against the 49ers. But if if everyone if 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 the people you'd expect to be available are available, I think it's going to be the Packers and the Steelers in a rematch. Well, that that'd be interesting. Um, is this? I mean, it's not safe to say. I was going to say, Kim, are you a Giant or Jets fan, or do you root for a t- different no, team? No, I'm not. No. No, I'm not. I grew up rooting for the uh, Eagles. Okay. Um. As a kid, and really, you know, got away from that probably when I went to Penn State, if not a little bit before. And right. uh, because at Penn State, I remember getting an awful lot of Steelers games and not always Eagles games, even though it was still Pennsylvania. So, um, no, I'm really, I'm really not. I'm an, I call myself an NFL bandwagon jumper because if I had my druthers, Denver would be in the Super Bowl and would win it this year. So I'm sort of a bandwagon jumper in the NFL. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Um, since we we definitely respect your time, Kim, and we know it's it's late and you have to probably work tomorrow, uh, I'm just going to jump to uh, just some hot sub baseball. Quick question for you, and I'm sure that people have asked you this, but. Do you think the Yankees are going to go and make any move to make uh, to get a, a second, like a number two pitcher? Because let's face it, um, I think they need it. I just don't know who's out there that the, the Yankees could possibly get. Only if someone like Arroyo Oswalt comes really cheaply, you know, because maybe he wants to reestablish himself and isn't happy with the current market. But I don't foresee that happening. Um, I don't necessarily think so, guys. I think they want no. to keep Swisher and keep – they love Russell Martin, and they want him back. And, and I, I do believe Brian Cashman. I, he may prove me wrong. I do believe Brian Cashman when he says that, you know, they're essentially where they want to be with the payroll. Right. I mean, the, the Yankees are willing. I mean, is it was it just a rumor or was it public knowledge that the Yankees were willing to give any team $8 million to get A.J. Burnett off their team? 
<laughs> oh, I'm sure. That I, I'm sure they will. Oh my goodness, eight million. I'm sure they'd love to, but that's not going to do it. I mean, that's still an awful lot of money for most teams. So, yeah, I'm sure they'd be willing to throw in eight million. Right. And and Dave and I, I mean, Dave and I always use the excuse, or you always hear uh, anti-Yankee fans tell um, other fans that you know the Yankees are quote unquote buying a championship with the money that they spend, but. You know, recently, as much as, you know, even this offseason, the Marlins and the Angels have spent just as much money as the Yankees would, along with, the you know, the teams like the Red Sox, the Phillies. Is it safe to say that the anti-Yankee fan can no longer say that the Yankees are buying their championships since every other team is pretty much spending as much money as they are? Well, that's not true that they're spending as much as they are on an annual basis. They gave out some huge contracts this season. But, right. but on an annual basis, those payrolls don't compete. Um, Anti-Yankee fans will will always say that, I'm sure, and the Yankees will always have a payroll <laughs> that will allow them to say that. But the fact of the matter is they, they don't win it every year. So nope. you can have the most expensive players. It doesn't mean you have the best or the most clutch players. Right. Well, we got to see that this year with the Red Sox and the Phillies. I mean, I, at the beginning of the year, I, I, was, I thought that was a lock, lock it up, throw away the key. And then you see the Sox didn't even make the playoffs, and the Phillies pretty much just, just coughed it up. But – you know, again, we mentioned that we're uh, we're Mets fans, and uh, Kim, is there any light at the end of the tunnel with the Mets? I hope and I pray that the, that the Wilpons. I mean, obviously, you don't wish financial misfortune on anybody. They're they're in the middle of it though, but I just don't think these guys are fit to run the team anymore. I mean, this is this is New York. The Yankees happen to be you know right across the street basically. So, is there any hope for us Mets fans that the Wilpons are going to sell this team or? the Mets financial fortunes are going to be turned around, or are we going to be looking at, you know, five years of just, you know, Pittsburgh Pirate-level baseball? Well, I'm not sure what to tell you. I mean, I don't know that they're fit to finance the team at this point, you know, and that, yeah. of course, is, is the question. I, I'm i not sure what to tell you guys. I, I think what's happened there has been a mixture, though, of some bad decisions, you know, combined, uh, some unlucky decisions as well you know, combined with, with some poor play and poor decisions. And, you know, you you wonder what David Wright's future is. You wonder about Santana. Right. You know, I am you know I don't have to tell you guys, as you're Mets fans, you know what you wonder about. But it's going to be awfully hard for them to compete right now. And you, I hate to see it. I, I would like every team in, the, in in New York to have at least some level of success because that's, that's when it's fun to talk about it with, uh, obviously, the two teams. Right, um, right. You know, almost competing for that kind of a back page. But, yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you about that. It certainly seems like the leaner times are coming. Uh, I think that most people in baseball, though, have an awful lot of respect for the Mets' brain trust. So perhaps there's your silver lining, that if anyone can figure this out, it's Sandy Alderson and company. It definitely – I mean, as a fan, you, you you believe that these guys know what they're doing. I, I kind of feel – I mean – I mean, that guy's making a lot more than I am, or probably ever will. But I, I guess it's hard to feel bad for Sandy, but I kind of do at the same time because it seems like he's so handcuffed that all he's kind of left to do is make, you know, little comments about, oh, I should have, uh, you know, making comments about Jose Reyes and I should have met him at the hotel and I should have given him this and, you know, stuff like that that he's kind of he's kind of thrown out there. But, I mean, I, I know personally I hope, and, again, I don't wish ill will towards the Wilpons like so many other Mets fans, but they have a loan that they have to pay in a couple of months to Major League Baseball. I can't imagine they're going to make it. It's almost like a catch-22. The fans aren't going to go to the park because they're not putting a good product in the field, and the Mets need finances. They need the fans to come out. But they really can't afford to get them to come out with anything. So it's almost like the Wilpons are stuck in a cycle of, you know, we can't pay 
no one's going to come to the park, so how are we possibly going to make ends meet? And I guess, you know, my hope in the, sh- in the short term would be that somehow Major League Baseball can take over, something can be fixed, or the Mets will be in, in stable ownership because, it, unfortunately, it just doesn't seem like that that's the case here. And, uh, you know, uh, but w- one last question for me, Kim. The new wild card system in baseball, any thoughts on it? Do you like it? Do you dislike it? Uh, like anything else, we'll probably get used to it. I don't like it based on the way this season ended. I mean, right, it would have right. been a a much different ending in the net, in the American League because I you know I believe if I understand it correctly, the the Rays and Red Sox would have both made it and they would have had that playoff and instead right, of that incredible right. ending we had that night that mon- many of us you know will never forget. I mean, that was an incredible night for baseball. So. Um, I don't necessarily like it. I do like the idea of there being hope in more places for a longer time right, in baseball. Right, I do think that's one of the problems, you know, that by July 4th a lot of places know that they're out of it and can't wait for football to start. Uh, but I'm not sure how baseball corrects that. Yeah. And then, Kim, I mean, totally off topic, because I'm trying to hit almost every major sport and get your take on it, because we really appreciate your take on um, sports. Just uh, with the NBA season ready to tip off on Christmas Day, how do you think the Knicks will do this year? Do you um, do you see like forty-five to fifty wins in, in this team? Well, Mike D'Antoni told Mike Francesa that this team has it has enough to win it all. So I'm going to go with that and have very high expectations for the Knicks, and hopefully it's a fun NBA season. And it'll certainly be a fast-paced one because they're going to play just about every night, which they usually don't do. So they're going to have more right. back-to-back-to-backs and back-to-backs than ever, I believe. So that'll be fun. Right. I, you know, the problem might be fans might like fewer games, you know, and then what do they do? But, um, but yeah, I think it'll be fun. It'll be fun. The Garden will be electric, and, and hopefully the Nets uh, manage to, to pick up someone and, and to have some fun too. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be, I think it'll be um, good for New York, and certainly the, the Knicks look great. Uh, you know, there are experts besides me who, who like how they look in, in what looks like a very tough East, though. So, you know, they're going to have to be very good to, to compete in the East. Yeah, they right. definitely will. And the funny thing is that Joe is one of those fans who's a huge – basketball is probably his favorite sport, and he, he's told me plenty of times that the season is just way too long and just goes straight to the playoffs. But, listen, Kim, you know, we really appreciate you coming on the air with us, and, of course, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Um, just one last note. Any chance that you and Mike are going to team up and uh, you're going to be his, his permanent co-host? Because I feel – I know Joe feels <laughs> – I think Mike needs somebody to play off of. I love Mike Princess. we both big fans of his. But I really feel like without Chris there, it, it, there's something missing. And when I heard you and Mike, I said, that's what it is. Kim Jones is the missing piece <laughs> well, of the equation. Well, that's very nice of you guys. But <laughs> I promise you that when it comes to Mike Francesa's show, Mike Francesa makes those decisions. So <laughs> I am not a decision maker in that regard. Well, we'll definitely keep our fingers crossed for you. Kim, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Hopefully we can have you on again, Pure Gold. Thank you, guys. Merry Christmas. You Merry too. Christmas. Folks. That was the one and only, the incomparable Kim Jones, clubhouse reporter for the Yankees. You know, it's funny, Joe. She does so much. I've seen her do so many things. You know, you watch the different clips. You see all this. Kim has been on everything. You know, she does clubhouse reporting. I've seen her in the booth. I've seen her make comments. I've seen guys throw pies in her face and all kinds of other stuff and make the jokes. And the one guy ate the, what was it, the, uh, the shish kebab or whatever it was. She was holding up the meat on a stick. I remember that. I mean, so many different clips that we could have gotten into with Kim. So it's almost like she does so much. How do you, you know, how do you pin down what her role is there? You're right about that. And uh, the fact that she does cover all these different sports and so knowledgeable, 
is um and it's not even the fact that she's a female. I just I think I just think that we really respect Kim Jones for her take on on different things and uh tonight we we really ran the gambit. We we found out a little bit about her career, about her life, and then we just got to take on, you know, baseball, football and even basketball. So, it was Everything a great spot, sir. Yeah, and of course Penn State scandal. No, I love Kim. You know, you know. I think I don't want to say it too loud. I don't know if they hear me. I love Kim. I think she's great. Um, I think that she is really knowledgeable. She's really intelligent, and uh, you know, I, I just I think she's awesome, honestly. And I'm I'm so glad that she was able to come on the show. And and believe me, you know anything about me? The people that we get on this show are people that we respect. And for the most part, I'm you know Joe. You got her on the show this time. For the most part, I'm the one who gets the guest. And it's people that we respect, people that we like, people whose opinions we want to hear. And Kim was one that there was so much, we just kind of had to cram everything in. It's just like I said, how do you segue from Jerry Sandusky allegedly molesting kids to, hey, let's talk about the Giants and the Jets. There's really no way, sir. There's just no way to, to – just like when we talked about it with, uh, you know, the episode we had um, Miss Arizona 2009, Alicia Blanco, and then we had Carissa Maxwell, and, you know, we had Mike and, and, and uh, I forget the other gym, I think it was, from uh, from Penn State. How do you go from one thing to the other? It's just, there's just no way. There's just no way other than the fact. <laughs> shut up, shut up! Shut up, shut up! <laughs> we should have dropped some of those clips on Kim while she was on the show. She would have been like, what? Is that Chris Russo? <laughs> sure, that was a great spot. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things to go over tonight as our show is already 32 minutes in. So. Of course, I mean, you know. Kim. <laughs> Are you ready, wow. sir? Oh, I'm absolutely ready. I'm just wondering, what am I ready for? I mean, before we had Kim on, and I'm so, I'm so glad that Kim came on right in the beginning of the show because, let's just face it, to start the show off on a negative would have just been a bad thing, especially with Christmas only five days away. But we do have to mention it to our audience. Let's talk about the debacle this past Sunday. Both teams laid an egg. Debacle. There's more than one debacle, sir. <laughs> Both, sir. I mean, I, I want to get your take on it first because I think your team had the bigger debacle. I know you might argue with me, but I, I really think that after beating the Cowboys Sunday night, you come home and lay an egg against the Redskins, sir. Go ahead, ran on. Um, I definitely would say that that – I don't know which debacle was worse, yours from a points perspective, mine's from a position perspective. The Giants just disgraced themselves. They embarrassed themselves. They're an absolute sham of a team. Um, you know, I'm gonna have to sir, I'm gonna have to pick honestly, obviously, definitely, I'm gonna have to pick the Giants against the Jets this week coming up, but my goodness, I mean that what 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 a disgrace. What an absolute flipping disgrace the the Giants were this weekend. I mean how how do you sir, how do you go from there? Tell me. Tell me, sir. How do you go from the Giants did? I mean Eli Manning cannot be the one to take care of everything. Eli Manning cannot be the one to always just uh you know, lay us the smack is down. There's just, uh, I don't even know what to say. The Giants were so terrible. The Giants have no clue what they're doing. Um, the defense is a joke. Pierre Paul's the only guy on the team who shows up. Antrell roll, Antrell roll at the end of the day, at the end of the day. At the end of the day, Antrell, you need to shut up because you think absolutely, positively, definitely. Now, sir, if I can segue real quick. We have a caller on the line, so I'd like to see, you know, what this caller's perspective is. We have a uh, 772 number calling. You're live and on the air. Who is this? Yo, this is Joel from Port St. Lucie. I just recently followed you guys on Twitter and stuff. I was listening to the interview. Great stuff with Kim Jones. Um, huge fan. Good show so far, guys. I just wanted to weigh in a little bit. 
you were mentioning something about the Mets, and I just want to let you know, I was just reading a story that the Mets now dropped. They're in such financial despair, they dropped their Gulf Coast team in their yep. in their minor league system. Yep, yep. I read, I heard about that today on the fan. Actually, I was listening to uh, Joe and Evan, and they kind of broke the story or whatever, you know, on the air. And they dropped the Kingsport Mets, I believe. Now, as far back as I can remember, being a lifelong Mets fan, I mean, you're 25 years, I'm, I'm 30, but I've been a Mets fan since I can remember. And I remember the Mets having Kingsport. I'd have to look and see how long they've been affiliated. But it kind of reminds me of when they dropped the um, the Tidewater Tides, the Norfolk Tides. I remember going to those games as a kid with my dad because we used to live in Virginia and being so excited. But getting back to your original point, uh, Joe, I'm not sure if you heard about this, but that, I mean, you know, the, the fact that the Mets had to drop a team, so they had to drop one of their rookie teams because they're in, and, it, and it's a financial cost-cutting move. JB, what do you think about that? I mean, it was a tough situation what they're in. I mean, yeah. you look at what they're doing now. I mean, and 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 you look at Mets fans, and I'm 31. I've been a lifelong Mets fan. I mean, I believe blue and orange, and it's just we always thought, and you guys were talking about how they should sell a team, but I look at it this way, guys. I mean. Manaya made some mistakes. We were always that one big name from winning something. And we got Pedro, and we got Carlos Delgado, and we got Beltran. But now you look at it at this point, and you look at what other teams did in smaller market teams and stuff like that, and we're really, truly rebuilding. I mean, you look at what they do have in the franchise right now, Kurt Neuenheis, Wilmer Flores, Matt Harvey. I mean, Zach Wheeler, he just got named one of the top ten prospects. I mean, they do have life. We are going to suffer this year. We're, I, I say maybe 100 losses this year. It could be one of those really long, tremendously long seasons. But there is hope. And I don't, as far as Major League Baseball taking over, I could never see a New York team being taken over by Major League Baseball. Somebody wants the Mets. There's somebody out there. If the Will Ponzi's want to make these mistakes and, and spend <laughs> the money the wrong way. But we're, we're truly rebuilding. And, and being part of the Mets fan is suffering, and it sucks. We're not Yankee fans. I know, and nope. it's the truth, and that's why Mets fans are diehard fans, and that's why you just got to kind of take any little sparkle of hope with what you got. Generation K failed, Greg Jeffries failed. I can go on and on, but at some point, something's got to go right, right? Yeah. You, you hope. I mean, Joel, I, mean, I was going to say the only thing we can hang our hand, hat on is 1986, and come on already. I mean, when you when you're in the same town as the Yankees, a team that just wins like you know the way they did in the late 90s and. Uh, had success since '96, basically making the playoffs. You, you know, you, there's there's a there's a point in time that you just say enough's enough. I wish I had that clip ready to go, but enough's enough, and uh, let's we need a change. I mean, we need new. Let me order. ask you this. Let, 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 let me ask you this. Did the Red Sox fans ever leave Boston? I know it's not the same thing, but the Mets, the true Mets fans, will always be there. I know attendance doesn't show it sometimes, but the people who declare themselves like Mets fans, like me, like yourselves over there, they'll truly be there. They'll, they they want to change. I understand that, but you got to give it a time. You know the mistakes have been made. I mean, I, I, we've said this time and time again, but I think Alderson has got the right decision. I mean, you look at the Yankees did, and like you said, 27 World Championships. The same argument with the Yankees. They made the playoffs fine, but they did it the right way. They had a core with Jeter and Mo, and now the Mets are trying to do that there. And moving Reyes, I think, was the best thing for him, you know. And, and, and you, you got guys like Ike Davis. I mean, you know. Well, you know what, though, Joel, the only thing is, you mentioned the Red Sox. They're a perfect example. You had entire generations of Red Sox fans who died in between world titles, and I don't want that to be me. I don't want to say I can't remember 86 because I was five. I don't remember. I, my first memory is the New York Mets, 1988, and I was watching before then, losing in the NLCS 
to the Los Angeles Dodgers. That is my first Met memory. So I don't want to sit here and tell my daughter, hey, you know, you got to be a Mets fan because Daddy's a Mets fan, and if you're a Yankee fan, you're out of the house, and then all we do is suffer. And my wife is always telling me, do we have to be cursed? Do we have to stick with this team? Do we have to be Mets fans? And unfortunately, you know, here I am. But the truth is that, you know, you mentioned it earlier. You said rebuilding. Yes, the Mets are rebuilding. They want to admit it. But the problem is what do the Mets have to rebuild with? I love Love Ike Davis. I think he's great. I think he's he's going to be in the first baseman for the next ten years. Um, Reyes is gone. They have nobody at second. They've got nobody. I mean, you're telling me that our shortstop well, is going to be. I love Ruben Hodge defensively. Hit. He, he he's going to hit one hit, but defense. Sometimes defense wins more games, guys, and they throw out right. these ridiculous stats like wins above replacement or or fielding percentage. But some of this stuff really does work. I, you didn't see the money 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 ball. I mean, come on, it is well, in baseball that things are going to change, and the Mets on. are really going in that right direction. Listen, I saw Moneyball. I was the only one out of my party that saw it and stayed awake, but that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> in that in that movie, which I got into that when I saw it, I mean, it's about an A's team that never won. Yeah, they they won the they won the West, but they didn't actually do anything with the Moneyball. The Red Sox were the ones who turned Moneyball and made it into something that that worked. But the truth is that. The Mets have right now Andres Torres who can't hit in center field. They have Ruben Tejada at short who can't hit. They're going to have Josh Tolley who's not that great of a hitter. They're going to have no offense. I mean, unless Jason Bay, you're, t- you're going to sell me on 45 home runs this year because of the fence moved in 15 feet. And Ike Davis is going to come back to form. And David Wright is going to benefit from the ballpark. I just don't see where the Mets offense is going to come from. And you're totally cool with that opinion. But I, I, I do rest on the laurels of Ike Davis coming back, having a strong season, been rehabbing really strong. And believe it or not, I, I know he sucks playing right field defensively, but Lucas Duda's a beast. When showing what he can do, maybe he gets more at bats. And Andre Source, he brings a little bit more defensively. I know some of the guys at the top of the lineup can't hit, but, yeah, maybe you've got to kind of hope on David Wright with Jason Bay. But that's besides the point. But Josh told me you can – but he can hit at times. He showed flashes that he can hit. He's got to become a better defensive catcher, no doubt. Ike Davis and, and, and Lucas Duda, I'm telling you right there, and you always have that backup plan of David Wright and, and Jason Bay. You can't rely on them like you once did. David Wright should have never been the center of that offense. I mean, even going back to 06, he was protected in that lineup. So I think he's been a shell of himself since he got hit by Matt Cain. So you can't rely on him. You can't rely on Jason Bay. So rely on the young guys. Ruben Dada, so what? He'll be like a Ray Ordonez. It'll still be fun to watch defensively. He'll make some plays. He'll put guys in the seats. Lucas Dude is going to hit. I mean, Ike Davis, it, there is senses of optimism. And, and I know you want to suffer all the time, but you've got to take some kind of hope into the season. You can't be like, hey, <laughs> I'm going to sit around and watch all the way. You know, at, at least the Mets entertained us until August this year. You know, they were in it here and there. They were an exciting team to watch, at least in my opinion, with, with, with Terry Collins, who brings a brand of mannership we haven't seen since Davey Johnson, makes these yeah. guys who we didn't have any faith in last year. They entertained me until August. I'll be honest, as a Mets fan, what, those guys played every day. And our pitching no, they is did, horrible they compared did. to the National League East. I know that. I know they suck in general, but I, I take out some <laughs> sense of optimism. You know, the I only do. optimism I tell you this much: the only optimism I have this year is the Mets are not going to lose 162 games. Because honestly, you know, and Joel, of course, we appreciate you calling in. Uh, oh, honestly, no I've been hearing for, for the past five, four years: if this guy comes back healthy, if that guy comes back healthy, if my if my mother comes back healthy and plays left field, <laughs> I mean, I mean that that's the type of thing that just irks me as a Mets fan. And being in a town with the Yankees. It's going to be a long, and Joe and I have talked about this, it's going to be a long season for us, and we just hope that we get surprised. I mean, I hear, I hear there's rumors about Justin Turner being traded for Eric Young. I don't want that to happen because, Turner, you look at his stats, he actually looks like, a, like he could be a good ball player. But, you know, again, 
Hopefully the Mets won't lose 100 games this year, and hopefully we'll be able to talk about it. And, Joe, listen, we really appreciate you, you calling no problem, in. And definitely thanks. You're, you're out there in the Mets' uh, second home in Port St. Lucie. Hopefully you can uh, you can call in again and, you know, talk some, uh, some Mets baseball when they're uh, Hey, can I just make games? one bold prediction here for you before I go? Oh, yeah, yeah. please. All right, hey, the Jets are going to beat the Giants, and then my <laughs> Dolphins, which I will be there on New Year's Day, my New Year's present, my Super Bowl will be the Dolphins knocking the Jets out of the playoffs. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that would be beautiful. Joe, thanks again for calling. Really appreciate it. You know what's – I mean, uh, that prediction would have worked if they didn't <laughs> fire Tony Sperano um, you know, two weeks here. ago. You know, if they didn't fire him two weeks ago, I almost would believe that prediction, but I just think that the team is in disarray now. For them to fire Tony Sperano with only two weeks to go uh, was a little weird, so I, I don't know if the Jets are going to lose to Miami. But, sir, do you know what they're going to hear – when when Met fans go to City Field this year, um, I'm pretty sure I know what you're gonna play, but <laughs> oh boy, you know that is actually I think what they're probably gonna hear from the fans is this. Go to hell! I'm pretty yeah. sure that's that that's what we're gonna what we're gonna hear, sir, because oh maybe one of these also. You make a dog sick. Because there's just no other way to put it, sir. There's just no. Oh, you might you might hear this too. And you know what, sir? The sad part is that the only thing the Mets are going to do, they're going to remind you of this, sir. <laughs> they're going to be one big running joke. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Gotta love it. And it was great to have Joe call in because, you know, and that was, you know, we always love having callers because it really helps us take the show uh, up to a new level, sir. But uh, since you're steering the ship, sir, I'm going to put it right back into your hands. Yeah, take before we had Joel from Port St. Lucie calling, which was a great call. I um, just wanted to uh, get back to the Giants and Jets, and uh, like I was saying when I threw it back to you, was the fact that the Giants had total control of the division after being the Cowboys Sunday night, and they had fate in their own hands. They just had to win out and basically just, you know, take care of business. And you, you figured they would come home, and obviously they didn't take care of business because the Redskins ran all over them. I mean, they, the Rex Grossman looked like Aaron Rodgers, and now the, they got a they have to beat the Jets and they have to beat the Cowboys. That's their only way to get in, basically. And um, I just think it's a big letdown. I think this this that might have been the final nail in Tom Coughlin's career as a New York Giant coach, sir. I think it's time to um, pack up the pack up the ship and you know it's time to get a new coach. You know, um, honestly, sir, I kind of agree. I think that uh, I think that the Giants. This might be the final nail on the call. Uh, sir, I, I don't see how Tom survives the year. If, if he, if the Giants lose this week and they're basically eliminated from the playoffs, or if ultimately they don't make it, sir, do you realize that the Giants are right now are one and five in their last six games? If they lose to the Jets, that makes them one and six. So at best, you're talking two and six over the over the last eight games, last the second half of the season. And most likely, honestly, sir, I think if the Jets if the Jets beat the Giants, I think the Giants are going to go out and lay a big fat stank goose egg against the Cowboys, and you're talking 1-7 to end the season. I honestly believe that. I think that this Saturday holds the key to the Giants' season, which obviously definitely may be, but the truth of the matter is that the Giants can't beat the Jets. They're going to go get smacked up like the you-know-what that they are, and they're going to end up scumming it up Giants-style, 1-7, Coughlin fired, and then they're going to bring in some other schmuck to coach this team because, honestly, sir, you take out the, uh, the 07 world title, which was almost – I mean, it wasn't a fluke. I can't say it was a fluke. 
But you take that title out. I mean, the Giants cost every single year under Tom Coughlin. I mean, come on. Yeah, you're right. And Joe in Wallington. What's up, Joe? Yeah, and I'll just tell you that the okay. um, the, the Jets, I mean, if you listened to the show last week, you knew that I wasn't comfortable going in to play the Philadelphia Eagles. I just think they're just a fast team. The Jets cannot cover their tight ends, and we know that the Eagles love their tight ends. Michael Vick loves to scramble. It's impossible to get him down. He's always running around, and the Jets just got run over. I didn't expect the score to be that bad, uh, but, you know, they got no, killed, let's face it. Yeah, I'm sure. You, I'm sure you didn't. I didn't expect that there. Absolutely not. Yeah, I, I didn't. And now the the Jets come home, which they've actually only lost one game at home. It seems like it's uh, a tale of two, a uh, tale of two cities with the Giants and Jets. The Giants love to play on the road this year, and the Jets love to play at home this year because again, the Giants have lost so many games at home this year, and the Jets have only lost one, and that was to the Patriots, the team that's you know probably going to win the AFC East. Uh, quite easily at this point. So the Jets come home. They play the Giants. I think the Jets have a chance to beat the Giants. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be a close game. I just think that the Giants defense hasn't played, except for that 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 beast of a guy. What's his name? Pierre Paul? Um, yeah, that, I think that's that. Way. John Paul Gonzalez, are you talking about him? <laughs> no. Um, but, you know, <laughs> that guy is the only guy that I worry about right now. I just think that the Giants are giving up so many points and their their defense is just like a sieve. So I think the Jets are going to be able to score on them. I just hope that, for my sake, obviously, as a Jet fan, I think that the Jets could pull out a, a close game. It's on Christmas Eve, so that means, uh, you know, some plans will have to be delayed, uh, even though it's a it's a big day for most Christians. You know, Christmas Eve is a big day, but uh, yeah. i got to watch that game. I, I, would, think, I would think it's kind of <laughs> sort of maybe a big day. I, I could be wrong, though. It kind of is. So with that, I, I, I hope that the Jets win a close game. But sir, let's not be let's not um, be surprised if this game is in, game ends in a tie. If anything. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not going to end in a tie. You never know. I mean, that's so true. Th- it's possible. Definitely. Yeah, maybe. So, so Dave goes with the Giants. I obviously go with the Jets. Uh, some other just some other football nuggets, if you will, sir. The Green Bay Packers finally lost. And they, you know, they're, Sir, can you believe bit, they lost to the Chiefs? The, the, the Jets just whooped them uh, not too long ago, and here they go and end up losing to the Chiefs. I, I honestly can't believe it. The Jets beat them last week, 37-10, to 10, but um, I don't know. It seems like after firing their head coach, Kansas City uh, woke up and they played a spirited game, and you know, I think Green Bay probably saw this as an easy win on their schedule, looking ahead towards the, the, you know, the Chicago Bears and the Detroit Lions, which are two tough games. I just think that they looked ahead – and they just forgot that Kansas City has a good defense, and, you know, they won a close game, and uh, that's the end of the Packers' run. It's probably a good thing if you're a Packer fan, sir. I mean, all that uh, – I know it's it's hard to say right now, but all that commotion and all, um, you know, all the hoopla of going undefeated and, and ask, you know, asking players, should, do you want to go for it? I think all that distraction is now behind them. They can rest now. They have to lock up the one seed first, which they haven't locked up quite yet, but I think they will by, uh, by this week. Yep. And um, from there, I think that I like turtles. You know, as the one seed, I really think they should go all the way uh, to the Super Bowl. Yeah, <laughs> I just can't believe they lost. Sir. Honestly, I mean, I'd love to see the Packers, and, and you know, we know that Kim jumps on everybody's bandwagon, like she mentioned. You know that the, that I'd love to see Tim Tebow in the Super Bowl, and him against Aaron Rodgers would be amazing and be classic. It would be absolutely pure gold, sir. That's good. And then on the same week, <laughs> <laughs> as <laughs> Sorry. 
And the same week that the Packers lost the game, the Colts finally won a game. So it was a, a, it was definitely a strange week in the, the you know in the NFL with things like that happening. Um, are you glad the Colts won a game, or did you want to see them lose every game and then prove I wanted that? To see them. <laughs> I wanted to see them lose every game, and I wanted to see them somehow make it into the playoffs with some weird way and lose every game in the playoffs also and just prove that Peyton Manning should be voted the MVP of the year just because he couldn't play and just the amazing turnaround. I don't think there's any other quarterback that you could say would take him away from a team that would make this big of a difference there, honestly. When uh, when Tom Brady went down a couple of years ago, they ended up with their backup, Matt Castle, and they still did pretty decent, so I'm pretty sure that uh, Peyton Manning is the man. He is the Manning, sir. <laughs> He sure is, and uh, you know, since Christmas is on a Sunday, all the games going to be most of every game is going to be played on Saturday, Christmas Eve, except for one game. The Packers and the Chicago Bears will play Sunday night uh, at eight o'clock. So um, it should be an interesting, you know, it should be an interesting week in football coming up. Um, another daily business nugget, as you will. I just want to mention, and we haven't talked about it at all, sir, but I, I want to get your take on it. I'll give you my take on it. Is the fact that. Barry Bonds, after lying to Congress, basically just got a slap on the wrist. I mean, if that's not a joke of a decision by them to just give him, like, what, a house arrest and be on probation for two years, it's a complete and utter joke. I mean, hey, what do you expect? I mean, this is, this is America, you know? What do you, what do you expect? you think Barry was actually going to get in trouble? I mean, come on. Come on, sir. Seriously? There's no way. This is America, you know. This is the only way that this would happen. Um, I'm not surprised whatsoever. I would think that, you know, I, I'm surprised Barry got that much, you know. It, it's just the way that the world is, the way that things work. When you got money, it seems that guys don't tend to pay for anything that they do. A lot of Congress, a lot of the President, a lot of your mama. It don't matter. You just do whatever you want, and if you got the money, you'll get out of it, sir. That's the one thing I, I know about this country is that if you got the money, except for Bernie Madoff, you will find a way out of out of your problems. And the regular Joe Schmoes like us, Joe Schmucks, if we did that, we'd be getting like 20 consecutive life sentences. So, I mean, well, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. I mean, my follow-up question to you is, uh, does, is this like a preview of what's going to happen with Roger Clemens? Is he going to get off too? I mean, let's just not even have a case or trial anymore. Roger? Roger the Dodger? Oh, you know, speaking of Roger Clemens, he was linked to uh, Mindy McCready, the uh, the country singer. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news, but apparently she kidnapped her son, or her son, who she didn't have custody of like a week or two ago. It's been in the news. I've been following it. Like, uh, It's unbelievable, sir. I mean, uh, maybe she kidnapped Roger Clemens, too, and just hasn't gotten out into the press. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But I, I just think that, like I said, the, it's really a joke what they did with Barry Bonds, his decision. I just think that, you know, let's just face it, Roger Clemens should get off scot-free, too, at this point, because you know, you know Barry Bonds' decision set a precedent by you know you could lie to Congress and just get slapped on the wrist because of who you are. So that that you know I guess we don't even have to talk about that. But I just found it interesting that that's all he got was probation and like a house arrest for thirty days. Um, Doesn't did you know that? All I can tell you. Yeah. Did you know that um, Tim Tebow lost a game finally? By the way. Yeah, I know the Tim. T- <laughs> I know Tim Tebow lost. It was expected. It was going to happen eventually, but obviously still rooting for Tim. Hopefully he'll, you know, make... You know what bugs me, sir? I hate this whole nonsense of I'm Tebowing, I'm Tebowing. It's not Tebowing. It's called praying. That's what that's what Tim does. He doesn't Tebow. He prays. And it just annoys the crap out of me. That's pretty much all I can tell you, sir. I hate that whole, you know, instead of giving God the honor and all, it goes... Forget about God. Let's talk about Tim kneeling on one knee. I mean, seriously? 
Seriously. <laughs> to quote the Miz. That that kind of stuff really annoys me, and you know, and that's what gets the attention. It's stupid. It's absolutely stupid, too. I'm also looking through my notes here. Good take on that. I'm also looking through my notes here, and it looks like Kobe is Kobe Bryant of the Los Angeles Lakers is going to go through a divorce. His his wife is finally divorcing him. Um, it took a while. I guess uh, she wanted to wait for something. I don't know what she wanted to wait for. But the fact that he's getting divorced means he's going to be distracted. Means no championship for the Los Angeles Fakers this year. It means a happy JB. What do you think, sir? Uh. <laughs> I think, you know, I hate to see people go through divorces, even if it is Kobe. I'm not a big fan of his. I mean, I love Kobe compared to LeBron, but that's besides the point. It's just a shame. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm kind of surprised it took this long. I mean, with everything that happened and all the scandals and everything, I thought she would have left him back then, but he got her that huge ring that was like, what, I think $4 million, and now they are getting divorced. And it's just, it's sad to me to see any marriage go down the tube, sir. I, I just think it, marriage has made so much of a joke here in America with the Kim Kardashians of the world, and you know. Speaking of which, uh, Mr. Kardashian, uh, Chris Humphreys signed a contract with the uh, the Nets this year, about seven or eight mil. So he's doing pretty well for himself now that the uh, the sham of a wedding is over. That is good. And from divorce and from negative negativity, I guess you have Britney Spears, her third engagement. She's getting married again, sir. What kind of role model is this? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's awesome. <laughs> I think it's absolutely awesome. I think she's great. I think Brittany should be the president of the United States of America. And uh, you know, I just think she's wonderful, sir. I, you know, I don't even, know, I don't even know what to say or, or how to get into this because the truth of the matter is that these celebrities make marriage an absolute sham, an absolute sham, sir. I agree with you. I, I just found it interesting that. She's, you know, marrying her whatever stage manager or whatever it is, and she's getting married for yeah. a third time. Kevin Federline, remember, had a stint in the WWE, um, a brief stint, but he still did while he was married to Britney Spears. So I guess that's why I mentioned it. And, um, you know, we can, the, the the other reason why I mention all these things is because, sir, you could tag the show with everything and everything because uh, it's going to get a lot of good listens. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure it will. I mean, this is this is the greatest show on earth, pretty much, sir. But uh, you know, as as we head towards the close out, sir, what what there's something that I'd like to talk about. But sir, since you're running the ship, what what else are we going to discuss this evening? One last thing, and I know what you want to talk about. The last two things, but I just wanted to get your take on this because it was just this year, folks, that DG started to get into hockey and actually went to his first hockey game live, and was very impressed with the way that the the play was, how fast it was, how hard they hit, and um, Unfortunately, sir, I don't know if you've been following this, but um, Crosby from the you know the Pittsburgh um, Penguins suffered another post-concussion syndrome symptoms, basically, and um, there's a, a it's very likely that his career is going to be over, and I I just think that'd be a shame. It'd be it would really hurt the sport because him and um, Kovalchuk of not Kovalchuk but um, the guy in Washington that's escaping my mind, the Russian. But those two guys are the future of NHL right now. And for one of them, to, for their career to be over uh, because of a post-concussion syndrome, it's just a shame. I don't know if you heard of any of that. Yeah, I did actually. And we have one of our intrepid reporters, uh, A. Marie, who uh, wrote an article about it last week that it's actually up. This is before the, the concussion-ness came out where he was going to be. It was actually the day before, I think, that he, uh, you know, it was mentioned that, Crosby would probably be out. It would be an absolute shame. And, you know, Sid the Kid is was is revitalized hockey in Pittsburgh, which has always been a good hockey town. And, you know, going back to the days of Mario Lemieux, it's a shame, sir. I'd hate to see his career be over. And, you know, I know we don't talk much about hockey on this show, but obviously you hope you pray for a speedy recovery and, and hope that 
he'll be able to defy the odds because it would suck. He's one of the new faces of hockey the last couple of years. He's just been the, the talk of the town, and he's proved that he's backed up his uh, hype with the play. So I, I would hate it. I don't see. I know that I'm pretty sure Marie's a, a. I know she's a Steelers fan. I'm pretty sure she's a fan of the, the Penguins. I would hate to see his career be over. Sir, no, no doubt about that. Yep, especially to an injury, you never want to see that. I mean, I'm not a Penguin fan, but I do like Crosby. I think he's really good for the sport, and I think that would be a real huge blow not to the team, but just to the whole league in general. And then, you know, jumping from topic to topic to topic, because that's what we're doing tonight, it seems. <laughs> um, let's just talk about the G.I. Joe uh, trailer, as well as, you know, fans were previewed to a Batman six-minute prologue. Uh, if you want to go watch... Uh, any movie in the city, uh, IMAX style, you were previewed to a six-minute prologue, sir. You got to watch a trailer. You got to watch the prologue, I think. Maybe you didn't get to watch the prologue, but uh, just give us your take. Seven months out from today, believe it or not, Batman The Dark Knight Rises will be previewing on July 20th, 2012. You know, it's funny. As you mentioned that, I'm on Yahoo, and I'm looking at this article, a trailer for The Dark Knight Rises hits the web. Um, 2012 is going to be a great year in movies if you're a comic book fan, such as myself. I mean, I, I, I know that I've said on the air that I don't think that The Dark Knight Rises can, which I hate the title, but I, that it would be able to compete with The Dark Knight. And after watching that trailer, though, I don't know, Joe, that this movie may change our mind. It may somehow just defy logic <laughs> and end up being every movie better than the first in the original because it just there's no way I thought they could be Batman Begins and Dark Knight was just classic, the best comic book movie of all time by far. And this movie, with the trailer that I've seen, sir, it looks absolutely stunning. Um, I know you've mentioned I hate to see this. This is the end of the Chris Nolan, uh, Christian Bale Batman, and I hate to see anybody do Batman after this, to be honest with you. I think they need to retire the cape and cowl for like 30 years because no one's going to do it better. But I would hate to see Batman get broken and end the movie at that end at that end of the spectrum. It looks like that's the route that they're going, though. You have a, what I don't understand is the eight-year gap between part two and part three. And I know our buddy Hans, the intrepid reporter who disappeared, you know, off the face of the earth. I think he may, Bane may Bane may have killed him, um, or maybe he got swallowed up in that earthquake at uh, Heinz Field, which happens in the movie. Um, I know he said that it's cool because it's not cliche, but I just don't understand eight years. What eight years of no crime without Batman? That doesn't even make sense. So I want to see how that's going to work. But I, I think this movie may surprise me, sir. I think it may honestly uh, be better than I think or than I thought it would be going in. Yeah, I mean, we we were always big on the second movie, The Dark Knight, um, because of Heath Ledger's performance as a Joker. But you're right, this movie really might be able to surpass it. But you know, I'm going to be honest with you. You're the one that called me out on it during our production meeting. You're like, don't be a sissy. I just, I don't think it, I would. It would sit right for me if no one really did hurt the Batman character at the end of his, uh, you know, the trilogy. I just, I would want Batman. Maybe he breaks his back, or maybe he hurts him bad early in the movie, and then Batman gets redemption. But you know, the the trailer, the preview, even the poster on the website, thedarknightrises.com shows basically the cowl on the on the ground and like broken and then you see Bane walking away as if like he either killed him or hurt him really bad and let's not forget that Catwoman is also in this movie and we'll see how she is portrayed and how you know what her role is in this movie so it's definitely seven it's hard to believe it's seven months out still I mean it can't get here fast enough for me as a huge Batman fan sir but um you know, we got six minutes of prologue. Again, you could catch that if you go watch any movie in IMAX. I believe they'll still show that six-minute prologue. And then you show me a nice HD trailer, I believe. Was it on Yahoo? 
Um, no, it wasn't on Yahoo. It was on a different channel. But you could go to Yahoo now, and I think you can see the trailer because that's the article that I was looking at. But I think that movie's going to be amazing, and it's going to prove me wrong. Um, G.I. Joe, we mentioned that that movie to me looks like it's going to be awesome. It looks like it's going to totally blow away the horrific scum fest that was part one. You and I actually went to go see that movie. What a, what a, what a train wreck that was. But part two looks like it's going to be better. The comic book fanboy nerd in me has to come out, though. I, I I like The Rock. I think he's a great wrestler. I think he's one of my favorites. And I think he's actually a really good actor. But if if they're going to turn this into, like, Roadblock leads G.I. Joe because The Rock is the main... I, I won't like that. It looks like they kill off Duke, which I would hate. Because Duke is G.I. Joe. He is the leader. Um, you've always had General Hawk and those guys. As a big fan of the, of the cartoon in the 80s growing up, I'd hate to see them kill off Duke. They tried to do that in the co- the cartoon movie in 1986, but the backlash from the Transformers film, uh, also the cartoon where they killed off Optimus Prime, caused them to change and, and you know redeem Duke and save him at the end. But honestly, I would hate that. Uh, I love Flint. I love Lady J. I love ro- the Roadblock character, Snake Eyes. I feel like they finally got the, the the cast right of characters as opposed to part one. But if you're, like I said, if you're turning this into Hollywood, you know, G.I. Joe because The Rock is the main guy and the guy people know, let's completely alter everything and make him the leader of G.I. Joe as opposed to Duke or as opposed to General Hawk or even Flint who technically, and I know I'm getting super geek nerd on you, he would be number three in command as the lieutenant. Um, I, that would kind of annoy me. But, uh, you know, just like the X-Men movie where they got absolutely everything wrong, pretty much 90% of it was wrong per comics, but it still was a great film, it shows you that the two can be mutually exclusive. And they could make a great G.I. Joe 2, which would be a nice jumping on point and hopefully keep going. Um, and it may be totally wrong to the comics and the cartoons, but it still would be an enjoyable piece of uh, cinematic adventure, sir. You are right, though. I mean, the first movie was a slot fest. We went to go watch it. We left there thinking, what the hell was that? And let's face it, we like to be, we, we're we're all about, like, nostalgia. We're all about old school. So we don't like the fact, and you more than me, you know, you give me this information on the um, on the comic book side where they reboot a lot of storylines here and there. But the fact that, you know, they might make The Rock the main character and they might kill off, like you said, Luke, I don't know if it's the right direction Dude, that... Dude, I don't know why you keep saying Luke. I sh- I should kill you off from the show just for saying right. Luke. Right, Luke. That's why I met Luke. Sir, <laughs> <laughs> so, two two H. Right. We need to have that soundbite going. Um, of course. We basically, you know, you said that 2012 might be the 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 greatest one of the greatest years of movies, and then you know you follow that up with the Avengers movie. Is there any news that you have on that movie by chance? Uh, no, nothing really. I just it's gonna be. A, I think it's gonna be a good film. I think they're gonna surprise us, and you know, obviously they have a great cast, and the, the Captain America movie was great. Thor was great. Iron Man one and two have been great. I think this is just gonna be great, great, greater and greatest. I'm gonna be absolutely pumped up for this summer. It's just gonna be three excellent comic book cartoon movies that I'm going to get into, sir. But, you know, i, I got to shift gears on you as we close out the show, sir, because we're headed for an action-packed hour-plus of PG. i got to talk a little bit about wrestling, sir. We haven't talked about it much lately with good reason, but you had the TLC pay-per-view. You had, obviously, uh, Zack Ryder finally winning the United States title, CM Punk retaining the, the WWE title, and, of course, we hope that he gets rid of that belt. But, of course, you had Mark Henry, who seems to be injured legitimately, losing to the Big Show, who then lost in the quickest title change pretty much in WWE history. Um, 
Daniel Bryan is the new world heavyweight champion. You have two Ring of Honor guys running the WWE. The two top guys in the company are former Ring of Honor guys. Sir, give me your take on that. I mean, who in the world thought they'd ever see that? Who in the world thought they'd ever see Daniel Bryan truly as the world heavyweight champ? We thought he was going to lose. We thought he'd be the first one to not uh, cash in the money in the bank successfully. Sir, uh, give us your take on that. Well, I mean, there's an injury that has you know that has to be considered, but I just don't know if making Daniel Bryan cash in his money in the bank where he, he pretty much said it all since he won it that he would be cashing in at WrestleMania. I mean, for him to cash in like that and beat the Big Show is almost like a heelish kind of thing to do. So unless they're making you know Daniel Bryan a heel, which I don't think they are, um, I, I don't know where they're going with this because I, they could have easily kept the title on Big Show for a little bit. I mean, let's face it, the guy hasn't won, a, what, the title since 2002, is it? Yes, sir, 2002. I actually was amazed nine years. I thought that was a, you know, retroactive continuity change in the story. But, no, it's been nine years since he was world champ. And Big Show, you know, has always been a good character. And he's actually good on the mic, especially for somebody of his size. Um, everybody seems to love Mark Henry, except for us, of course, and think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But, you know, whatever. It is what it is. Show is probably going to go after it now with Henry being injured. But, honestly, sir, um, one thing that sticks in my crown, I'm probably going to write an article about this. I have a couple of articles in mind. I kind of touched on the topics, but the money in the bank thing to me is just so overplayed. I think it's, I think it stinks. I think it's a gimmick that needs to go away. And I know I'm going to be in the vast minority when it comes to that, but I hate seeing. The reason is because I hate seeing somebody with such talent like a Daniel Bryan. He's going to be marginalized. Everybody who's won the, the money in the bank has been a marginalized champion. Edge had to win three, four times to finally be legit. Punk has not been legit up until recently. He won several years ago, two times in a row, with the money in the bank. Um, and he didn't do anything with it. His title reigns were subpar. They were a joke. They scummed it up. Miz was a, was a bum and a clown for the five months that he held the WWE title. He was an afterthought. Um, it, it hasn't helped anybody. RVD, obviously, this whole weed-smoking thing, three weeks. It just... Nobody has really been effectively pushed due to the money in the bank. It's just a cheap title win. It's always heel tactics. I want to see somebody say, you know what, I'm going to use it this pay-per-view. I'm going to cash it at this pay-per-view and then lose. That's what I would like. Honestly, give me something different. You know, truthfully, what I think they should do, do the money in the bank in such a way where you have it, like, you remember back in 2002 when they wanted to push Brock Lesnar. They brought back the, the King of the Ring after being dead for a year or so. They brought it back. Brock Lesnar won. The, actually, no, it wasn't dead, but that was the last year they did it. Brock Lesnar won the title, and he was given a SummerSlam title shot. What I would like, sir, is to bring that concept back. Make the King of the Ring in June and give that person an August title shot at SummerSlam. Make it a big event, a big thing. So you have the King of the Ring tournament on pay-per-view in June. And then you turn that into an August main event. Then what you do is you can have September. That's the, the, the money in the bank because the September pay-per-view sucks anyway. Make it money in the bank and then give them a November title shot at Survivor Series. So you give it a two-month gap where you can build up the character, build up the person, build them up with the feud of the current champion. And you can really make it so that the Royal Rumble winner in January gets a, a March WrestleMania title shot. The June winner of the King of the Ring gets an August SummerSlam title shot, and then the September winner of Money in the Bank gets a November title shot at the Survivor Series. So you turn all of your big four pay-per-views, uh, you know, all, all the big pay-per-views into must-watch events, into matches where you could really get big title matches going, big title shots. You can give people that, that, that the ability to 
win the title, to push them up, to promote them, as opposed to these fluke champions, these scumbum money in the bank, because honestly, none of the winners have been any good. Kane's the only one who got a real legitimate shot, you know, and had a decent title run, but Kane didn't need the. Kane should have never had to win the money in the bank to become world champion, sir. You know, he had enough enough on his plate, enough on his repertoire to get a title shot of his own merit. So give me your thoughts on that. No, you're, you're right about that. And the thing that I love is that um, there's, we always, like here and there, we'll always spend time on fantasy booking. And th- that is not even fantasy booking. That's just a way to make the show, make the product fresher and more interesting. And just the fact that the WWE, Vince McMahon, Triple H, whoever else is running the creative show, Stephanie, maybe. I don't. I don't know if. Again, I don't know if it's just that they don't care or they don't want to make it like with continuity. I almost feel like, again, with this no competition because let's face it, TNA is not competition, sir. Without competition, they don't need to have continuity. They don't need to make it this show that is so great like it was in the late '90s, sir. Um, it, it's just something that either they're too lazy or they just don't feel like they need to do it, so they're not going to do it. Yeah, I agree with that, and you know, I don't know, sir, it's a shame because it could be so great, but it it usually isn't. I'm hoping Jericho will come back the second. Him and Punk will have a big feud leading into WrestleMania. I would sign up for that in a heartbeat in a second. Aside from that, last night's Raw was pretty good. You had the intro with uh, the introduction of the the three big champs, the three, you know, internet guys, the Marks, the the internet wrestling community darlings, uh, Zack Ryder, Daniel Bryan, and, of course, CM Punk. They had a main event feud where... where, uh, Alberto Del Rio tapped out to Daniel Bryan, which is nice to see. What I hate about Bryan is that they, they marginalized him so much that finally giving him the world title just doesn't seem right. He was losing. This guy's a submission specialist, a la Chris Benoit, who I don't remember ever hardly tapping out, except to Kurt Angle, who was another submission specialist, technical wrestler. And I know Benoit's a sore subject, but just for the sake of this argument, I don't remember him being jobbed out the way that he was, and then finally, bam, he wins the title. No. Brian was jobbed out. Brian lost for the most part. He lost to Wade Barrett at SummerSlam. Was losing to Cody Rhodes, losing to everybody, tapping out to everything, and then bam, he's a world champion. I think it's horrible booking. I think he's going to be marginalized, and his first title reign is going to be a joke. And then hopefully he'll get a second or third one, like Punk did, to really legitimize himself. Because now Punk's a legit world heavyweight champ. Back then he wasn't. Aside from that, you had Kane choking out John Cena to the point where he bled from his mouth, and that looked pretty legit, sir. Kane looks like he's ripped. He's ready to to rock and roll and to destroy. So that, of course, is good. even though it doesn't make sense, that's going to be interesting. And it's nice to see Kane finally back in good shape. And let's see what what, what interesting things the, the feud between him and John Cena brings. And anything to keep Cena out of the main event title picture works for me, sir. Works for me too. I mean, that you pretty much said it all raw. I didn't really watch too much of it. I was watching Monday Night Football because I thought it was a great matchup between the Niners and Steelers. Um, but, you know, coming off of a pay-per-view like TLC, TLC, when you look at it just as a pay-per-view by itself, was pretty good pay-per-view, let's, let's face it, sir. Um, but, you know, we could definitely discuss this um, more next on our next show. But, you know, final nugget, final topic is that the fact that it is the biggest holiday for the Christian folk. It is Christmas coming up. So just want to wish you and your family a Merry Christmas. And uh, I know that... you too, you know, sir. Yeah, I know that we split our time, like my family splits, um, you know, me and my wife and Sabrina spend time with my wife's family on Christmas Eve because they believe that's the bigger day of the two. And then we're spending some time with my family on Christmas Day. So hopefully the weather participates. They're calling for some wet snow, hopefully not 
a lot of snow like we got right, right. last year the day after Christmas. So other than that, it should be a good time. It's really for the kids. I can't wait for Sabrina to open up some presents because now she actually gets it, sir. It's not just about yeah, opening yeah. a box up, you know. So it should be a great <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> so wishing you and yours a very happy. I know that you already got your gift about two months or even, yeah, two and a half months earlier. Uh, yeah. But I'll let you take it away. Merry Christmas, and uh, we'll pick it up again next week. Of course, and it's funny that my, my family, we do the same thing. My wife and I will be, and and Isabella will be with our, her family's uh, New Year's, New Year's uh, Christmas Eve, and then, of course, Christmas Day with my family. It's kind of funny that we do the same thing. Um, but, yeah, I definitely got my Christmas present early, my wonderful, beautiful, lovely, darling Isabella, who is the light of my life and, of course, the joy to this old beaten down hunk of junk over here, the, the, the DG of this uh, Pure Gold team. But I'm I'm excited about that. My wife and I are just thrilled, you know, as happy as a, you know, kid eating cake. We love it. Christmas is great. It is the most important day of the year in the Christian faith. That and Easter pretty much back-to-back in a belly-to-belly, neck-and-neck, uh, as far as the important days, the, the, kind of like the beginning and then the, the true culmination of it. So, so some good stuff there. We're looking forward to it. Folks, we thank you for tuning in. Happy Christmas to you and, and yours. Uh, you, make sure you join us next Tuesday. We're going to have an awesome action-packed show, our last show of the 2011 calendar year. So we're really looking forward to that. We'd like to, again, thank Kim Jones, the wonderful, the the lovely, the incomparable, the the amazing Kim Jones. She was just a great guest, and we really do hope to have her on again in the future. Thanks to Joel from Port St. Lucie calling in, of course. Uh, and we just thank you, fans, for listening. And just remember, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, for DG and for JB, of course, we got to remind you to always... Keep it PG. Good night, everybody. What's the name of your show? Uh, pure Gold. Pure Gold? Yes, sir. I got two words for you. Pure <laughs> Gold. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.